Let's get ready to nibble and chew upon this remarkable banquet, because this is Bill's Big Bag of Onions. stories written and performed exclusively for the show and then dispersed with resplendently remarkable music. So sit back and kick off your shoes and allow your soul to be infused by our unique and innovative storytelling because this is Bill's Big Bag of Onions. It was May when I returned to Istanbul to visit my old friend. After a family dinner, I sipped coffee and perused the interior of this cosy home to learn a little more about the life of Brian. For ten years we'd kept in touch, with a level of confidentiality unique to long-distance relationships. And here, on open view, was the evidence the ebony hippo from his lover Claire, Helga's gift of the vagina monologues, and hidden in the leaves of the Rodin Museum catalogue, Melanie's erotic drawings of them both. His wife studied my gaze, surrounded by his deceit. emerge from the tunnel with a loud woo-woo and you're off down the track of life tickety-clack tickety-clack a youngster's smile at thomas the tank engine too soon becomes a teenage obsession with platform nine and three quarters as you hurtle through childhood clickety-clack clickety-clack interrailing round europe la clickety-clack la clickety-clack full steam ahead into adulthood clickety-clack a brief encounter with love a sad farewell Clickety-clack. Change here for the gravy train. Clickety-clack. Running out of steam. Clickety-clack. End of the line. Recently departed, you become another eternal sleeper on the track of life. Clickety-clack. Clickety-clack. 
Clickety-Clunk. I cannot believe I made such a blunder after weeks of traipsing around Europe on the trains. On arriving at Seville, knowing the connection for the day's last train to Malaga was tight, I was told it actually departed from a different station across the city whose roads were chock-a-block with fiesta traffic and whose hotels were all full and I'd missed the friend for whom I'd no contact details who'd prearranged to meet me in Malaga and who'd then drive me to his villa somewhere near Marbella. So I drank a bottle of wine and slept on a bench. June sun drew out the scent of the blooming bushes as three-year-old Sarah trundled around on her tricycle. She looked at her dad, who stood chatting and laughing with Mr. Jones. She knew she'd be in huge trouble, but she had to find out what would happen. From the other end of the garden, she rode at full speed straight into his legs. He fell flat on his back, hair standing on end. Sarah retreated terrified as people pulled him up and brushed grass off him. A voice said, Don't worry, dear. We know it was an accident. Every Saturday morning I would be placed unfettered by safety belt into the two-tone blue Ford Anglia and driven along smoky East London streets to my granddad's house for lunch, laughs and cuddles. Climbing the apple tree I could survey the complex estate of rabbit hutches and chicken coops. Granddad would let me hold his ticking fob watch as he sang gently. I would inhale the coal tar soap and tobacco from his hands, and after we ate, I would curl up on his armchair, close my eyes, and dream of being five years old one day soon. The locals wanted me to go diving. No license, I said. Well, snorkelling then, it's free. Nope. This is the most famous dive island in Indonesia. Why'd you come? No ready answer. I climbed aboard. As I looked into the deep primordial blue, the real answer became obvious. Terrified. One flippered foot poised over the reef, the other over limitless blue. I jumped and scrambled like a nervous Nelly into the shallow water of the reef. I crept back to the edge. Far below, divers cruised along the cliff face, bubbles billowing to the surface. Fear receded. I can do this. 
We're here, she said as they arrived at the Hockney exhibition. I'm not going in there, said Grandad. Why ever not? she asked. He's a bloody smoker, he replied with fire in his sphincteral eyes. But that's ridiculous, she argued. What's that got to do with his art? Would you like it if no one read your memoirs because you were a vegetarian? Are you aware that your beloved Dylan, Dickens, Ralph Vaughan Williams, cricketers Curran and Stokes, the Rolling Stones, Leonard Cohen and the West Ham midfielder Jack Wilshere are all smokers? Despite ignoring her rant, he sat shamefaced. He'd pissed his pants. Free from shackles, I slide, weightless through warm air, breath suspended, heart racing as I anticipate the cold shock of water. Below me, Millpond stillness, ancient and undisturbed, reflects green and dense the reeds and trees that border the lake. My intrusion inevitable, I shatter peace and tranquility, sending concentric ripples wide and droplets high. The water parts, engulfs, then bears me, parent-like, remodeling and shaping about my solid form as I progress with swift, clean cuts towards the moment of leaving. Shivering on the bank, I take up my life load with each garment and walk away without glancing back. Dolly's life would have passed unnoticed except by her neighbours in the hamlet she lived in, were it not for one thing. She was unsure of her age. She worked as a treader for a local tanner, which involved her stamping on animal skins while standing knee-deep in a vat of stale urine. Unsurprisingly, she had difficulties attracting a husband, so lived alone in a one-room hovel in a hamlet just north of Colchester. Her passing was recorded in the Colchester Gazette, purely because Dolly was the illegitimate daughter of the illegitimate son of the Duke of Suffolk. Her neighbours noticed her passing, and also the removal of the stench of stale urine, since nobody took her place as a treader. Nothing was heard from the Duke. The kiosk attendant glanced at him through the wire mesh as he handed over the ticket. Welcome back. Yeah, think I left my wallet in the cafeteria yesterday. The kiosk attendant nodded somewhat enigmatically, and for a moment their eyes met. Free entry today. Free entry for you every day. What? Never mind. See you tomorrow. Adam did not understand the last statement, but let it be, and went in search of his wallet. 
Back at the hotel later, he cursed silently under his breath. He had left his wallet, probably in the cafeteria. He would go back for it tomorrow. Cause you keep coming back, coming back for more. And I am losing track, losing track of all the times. Because we're stuck in a loop, you and I. Yeah, we're stuck in a loop, you and I. You're listening to Cone Radio, 106.6 FM, and this is Bill's Big Bag of Onions. At 17, I had a Saturday job in Andrews, the gentleman's outfitter, popular with actors working at Elstree Studios. I once served Trevor Howard. He bought two ties and put some briefs on counter. Sean Connery treated himself to a plaid waistcoat. Well, you only live twice. Michael Caine wanted a suit, an Italian job. Joan Collins bought a trilby to wear to Jackie's book signing, The Bitch. Director Kubrick purchased some new shoes he'd seen in the window due to The Shining. And Alan Rickman wanted an invisibility cape. He tried one on and walked out the shop without paying. searching for a parking place when I noticed a very narrow spot between a wall and a huge pristine motorbike sacred to those of a certain chapter. If I was very careful I could just about squeeze in. I did it. Opened my door very carefully but caught the sight of the bike. Horrified I looked round and saw, advancing towards me, an unhappy, leather-clad youth holding a crash helmet. I waited for the tirade of angry words and expletives. A small voice said, I've fallen off my bike and hurt my elbow. should have listened to that voice in my head that said, leave well alone, but I couldn't. It was an itch that I couldn't resist scratching. 
Now I am going to have to wait it out. At first, I was curious and just wanted to gain a little intelligence at a distance. I'd always wanted to be a detective, and this was just a little research. It was all fine to begin with, just a few photos. I soon moved on to profiling jobs, interests, places lived. Then I accidentally clicked on Add Friend. Bugger. Some think seeing is believing. Some believe in things unseen. Some people know things because they feel them. But you cannot know how I feel. Have my moments on peaky mountains, many more on choppy seas. I've seen some things you'll never believe. You cannot know how I feel. Put your fingers in my wounds. Run them all along my scars. You can't run fingers through somebody's hair and think you know who they are. I've tumbled down my mountains, foundered on surly seas. I've seen some things I need you to believe, so you can know how I feel. I made the mistake of saying that Valentine's Day is nothing but a crass commercial rip-off. My favourite barmaid stopped pulling my pint and fixed me with a stare so searing, so pitiless, I could feel the frostbite forming on my cheeks. Didn't I realise that Valentine's Day is a chance to bring love back into the world, a chance to spoil the people you love, a chance to push back the grim tide of life, however briefly? She finished pulling my pint and stalked off. So now I'm making a list. Wife, daughter, think I'd better add my favourite barmaid. It is with joy and anticipation that I announce the passing of Lady Felicity Small, the noted clairvoyant. Her catchphrase, small by name, medium by nature, will invigorate budding spiritualists for many years to come. Despite blossoming into a double XL in latter years, Lady Small remained a staunch medium throughout her life. Remembered chiefly for channeling the music of Brahms and Liszt, those deeply moving conversations with Napoleon and, of course, her numerous sightings of Elvis Presley. A seance will be held in Colchester's Charter Hall on Sunday next, when it is hoped that Lady Small will be ectoplasmically present.
Lady Small eagerly awaits the arrival of her husband, Sir Hugo Small, KCB and Bar, her son, Timothy Timey Tim Small, and their 12 toy poodles. More correctly, it got me. It knocked the stuffing out of me. After four days, it got to my senses of smell and taste, and I stopped eating. I was spending twenty hours a day in bed, and after about another ten days, came to realize that at night I was not alone. Something was sat in the corner of the room, it had no real shape, made no sound, but occasionally it would tremble slightly and then lick its long rubbery lips, which seemed to suck all the moisture out of the air in the room. She knew he was dying, but him being dead is different. There is space in bed, an extra towel in the bathroom. She knew he was going to die, but having done it, the silence of death has surprised her. The medical bubble she's lived in for years burst. Carers cared, went. Doctors spoke, left. The priest caught the last breath took it with him. The muddle of day, the madness of night, now at rest. Peace. She watches a blackbird on the feeder. It pecks away at the fat ball. She had forgotten there were birds in the garden. I've been eating cat food all my life. All my lives, actually. Yes, this is my ninth and final time as a human. And I'm going out with a whimper. What a loser this time. To think I've been a top chef for an Aztec king, a roadie with the Rolling Stones, and for one week only, I danced at the Folie Bourget in Paris. Okay, a few were meagre existences. Chimney sweep was brief, and Tibetan yak herder was lonely. But there was always some pride and integrity. But not this time. Not now that I'm Donald Trump's final wife.
Top 40, 1975, the chart countdown. I slide a C90 into the tape recorder. Quiet, please, I say, putting the microphone against the speaker. I think it's number one. I listen and wait. Straight in at 35 this week, the doorbell. Someone go. At number 22, has anyone seen my... Shh! Up seven to... A mixer in the kitchen. The speaker screeches. I screech. Please. Brand new at number one is... Dinner's ready. No. My only chance ruined. Three months later. For the 14th week at number one... Bohemian Rhapsody. Quiet, please. Microphone on. I think it's still number one. Yes, another ten years roll around. My young son says you become old at 43, but I'm reaching the end of the seventh decade and on a good day still feel sprightly. Went for a six-mile run yesterday, slowly these days. I remember 30 being a tough one, thinking, can't be in Radio Luxembourg teens and twenties disc club anymore. At 40, oh dear, won't ever be a champion marathon runner now. 50, half a century, that sounds a lot. Then 60, which didn't seem to make much difference. Now three score years and ten, onwards and upwards. day of his new project. He was optimistic, but he knew that he should not count his chickens by its cover, and that one swallow did not make an omelette. He had worked hard on the scheme, but Rome wasn't built for a penny, and he hoped that he was not trying to make a silk purse out of spilt milk. The road to hell, after all, is paved with a pig's ear. Ronald smiled at his deep knowledge of metaphor and got out of bed. 
A bird in the hand, he knew, waited for no man. You are listening to Bill's Big Bag of Only Onions. Ian had walked alone for many suns since the rest of her tribe had fallen to the sickness. She had eaten only berries and shoots and was weak when they found her. They looked and spoke differently from her people, but they were kind to her, and so she stayed with them for two summers. When her child was due, she walked alone into the forest and never returned to the safety of the settlement. Her own kin would in the end prevail, but the legacy of her ordeal would remain. We are many of us, after all, part Neanderthal. Just healing well, Mr. Wilkinson. Twist that hip to the left. That's right. It'll help reactivate the joint. Bend the knee. Do that ten times every hour. You should start walking and putting more weight on it, as much as you can bear. He doesn't remember my sister, the ten-year-old with the leg brace and thick glasses, who he tormented at school. He doesn't know that I found her just in time to pull the rope off her neck. Maybe he'll spare a thought for her when my advice renders his leg useless and twisted like hers. soldier, due to travel back to the front line the next day, and sensing the grim reaper's presence, decided to write a letter to his two-year-old child, explaining who he was and his post-war hopes and dreams. He wrote for 24 hours before falling asleep. Unfortunately, he overslept, missed the Dover train, got listed AWOL, lied about why he was late, punched a lieutenant in the face, spent the war in Colchester's military prison, got dishonorably discharged, couldn't get a job, divorced in 1919, slept rough, before emigrating to Australia, where he was killed in a mining accident in 1920. Sunday, a 
plastic thing appeared on our lawn. It was of indeterminate shape and a colour that matched nothing of ours. Chuck it in the recycling, said my wife, and I dutifully did. On Monday, I put out the recycling and, on Tuesday, tidily stashed away the empty containers. Today, my daughter presented me with a plastic thing from the lawn of indeterminate shape and of a colour that matches nothing we own. Chuck it in the recycling, said my wife. Now I fear that this monkey's paw of an object will return to haunt me again next week. She wanted to end the call, but she knew how much it would upset him. It was like this at the end of every year. Have you made any resolutions? said an elderly voice. Oh, you know, drink a bit less, eat a bit less, do more exercise, the usual stuff. She paused. And you? she asked with trepidation. Well, since you have listened to me so nicely... And for so long, this year I promise not to eat anyone. Goodbye, Clarice. Goodbye, Dr. Lecter, and thank you, she replied and hung up the phone. Small steps, she thought, small steps. Roses are red, violets are blue, and with a face like yours, you belong in the zoo, read the valentine. It had been sent by Phil, spotty and awkward, 13 years old, to Vanessa, his classmate. She and her friends sneered or shrugged their bony shoulders in the direction of Phil and his cohorts. Fast forward four years, and Philip now saw something else in Vanessa, who had really and truly blossomed. Be my valentine, read that year's offering. But what he hadn't realised, of course, was that Vanessa was now dating that pretty girl Zainab from the year below. Picture this. Seven adults sitting in a Balinese tourist bungalow, staring at a bedsheet on the wall. Just outside, there's a tiny circular swimming pool with a gazebo in the middle. The small room is packed with Balinese statuary and bric-a-brac and, of course, that unique Bali vibe. Nestled in the midst of the adults is a small child, gazing with rapt attention at the ABBA movie, Mamma Mia! 
projected onto the bedsheet, surrounded by people who adore her. Was this the start of her musical journey? Time will tell. No photo, just the pure magic of an unforgettable memory. My legs felt like jelly whenever I thought about today's trip. I'd never been to a farm. I know what they are, but what are they like? Are the animals in cages or roaming free like a safari park? Would they be scary? How big is a cow in real life? Maybe they'd be scared of me. Do they know that we eat them? What if they decide to eat me instead? As my teacher ushered us onto the coach, I thought about the slice of cheese pizza in my lunchbox. At least I could say I'd gone veggie. The water hit my face in a blissful timpani, a forever moment of incredible serenity. I rolled my head in the soft liquid massage, causing it to sequentially cascade over my shoulders. Time stopped. Glancing down, I saw a large stool drop from between my legs and ever so slowly topple over, gathering around it a reservoir of water which began parading the slow motion along the floor. Screams, panic hit me and I tried to run, women laughing, also, somehow, their children staring, pointing at my nakedness. My manager stood watching with contempt. Bolt upright, heart pounding. Bad dream? My wife mumbled. My body aches from roaming hills and valleys every day from dawn to sunset, seeking out the finest ingredients among the sparse nature of winter. I pour all my love and strength into making the delicious stuff that causes my beautiful queen's face to glow. It enhances her energy and fires her passion and desire to produce powerful offspring. I shall continue to toil ceaselessly to nurture her and the little ones. The person will be pleasantly surprised to collect so much food at this time of year. This should also please St. Valentine, the patron saint of beekeeping.
It started when she was just 14. Even with her poor mathematical skills, Madeleine computed that this ritual had lasted half her life. Every year he bought her a bouquet of red roses and an oversized padded card. She had the door open before the postman's finger touched the bell. Every year he smiled knowingly, and every year she giggled girlishly as she signed for the packets. He left her with a cheery wave. Madeleine closed the door, dropped both packages in the bin, and resigned herself to wasting another year for her special Valentine delivery from her handsome postman. began, and he placed his elegant, manicured hand lightly in the small of her back. Briefly their eyes met, and the ghost of a smile crinkled the corners of her green eyes, before she gracefully shaped her slender body and looked away over his shoulder, gathered in the crook of his arm. He moved forwards. She followed his lead, bending, swaying as he guided her across the dance floor, connection unspoken. Tender like lovers in the moment, the music, the form. The audience sighed, wished and wondered about the beautiful girl and the man who knew how. They say it takes 10,000 hours to master any skill. Archery is no exception. Stand square to the boss, feet slightly apart. Secure your arrow in its knock with the cock facing you. Raise the bow and draw back smoothly, not too far. Kiss the string, keep still. Is the bow upright? Check your right elbow. Focus on the gold. Get that sight exactly right. Breathing shallow. Relax. Hold for a second or two. Keep still. Release with the right hand. Don't lower the bow too soon. And... Miss the target completely. <laughs> oh well, only another 9,999 hours to go. Central Station. He towered above the throng from the 1240 train. Oh dear, a man bag. Its strap laying diagonally across a feral waistcoat buttoned over a paunch. Not quite the landscape gardener in tight jeans driving an animal truck. We lunch. I independently insist upon going Dutch. He's chatty, speaks of a regular customer, a lady whom he often weeds for, whilst sitting. 
So, shall we meet again? Tilting my head, I apologize, later offering his train fare home. He accepts. First I felt cold, so I moved to somewhere hotter. Then I felt hot, so I moved to somewhere colder. On the way, droplets of water landed on me, so I stopped to quench my thirst. It felt great. Soon I saw something wriggling in front of me. I ate it. Then I felt a pain in the guts. After I'd vomited, I felt cold, so I moved to somewhere hotter. Then I felt hot, so I moved to somewhere colder. On the way, several more droplets of water landed on me. I stopped and said to myself, Why me? Mrs. Chaz King. At West Mercy, shucking a fresh local, the earth suddenly jolted, shifting the shellfish to the back of my throat. Choking, I was gathered into a huge wave and swallowed by a great fish. The Reverend Carter Hall. I have been round the parish. Scarcely a house escaped. Several are roofless and otherwise rendered uninhabitable. But happily no one was killed, thanks be to God. Mrs. Chaz King was severely hurt by the falling of bricks on her head, but this was the extent of her personal injury, other than some imaginings that I cannot account for. Disappointment. Stretch, yawn, shower, coffee, front door slammed, heart heavy, happiness light, bus full. Alarm rings, frustration, stretch, yawn, shower, coffee, front door slammed, melancholic and trapped, bus late. Alarm rings, anxious, Stretch, yawn, shower, coffee, front door slammed. Regrets accumulating. Bus stuck in traffic. Eventually get off and walk. Alarm rings. Anger. Stretch, yawn, shower, coffee, front door slammed. Overwhelming disappointment and tears. Bus drives past without stopping. Alarm fails. Panic. Back muscle pulled. Shower broken. Coffee cold. Front door keys lost. Hopes and dreams unite. Bus hijacked. Cliff, Una and the shadows collected. Summer holiday begins. (laughs) 
Robin Hood was a worried man and could not sleep. He got up from the bed, trying not to make a sound. King Richard was returning tomorrow, and he did not know what he would think of it all. The robbing of the rich should be okay, he thought. Richard was a fair man and would understand. Kidnapping Marion would be more tricky, of course, but he was sure she could talk him round. Robin, why are you up so early? said the Sheriff of Nottingham. Come back to bed. That, on the other hand, was going to take some explaining. Coming soon on Colm Radio. Box 39 investigates. That's right, the Box 39 investigates team looks into the story of a beautiful, entirely white kitten called Moon Unit, abducted at the age of six weeks from the pavement outside 47 Tavistock Avenue, Stanway, only to turn up in Brightlingsea seven years later, we assert, based on its colour and speculation about what a cat DNA test would have indicated. We tackle the problem Northeast Essex has with kittens being kidnapped and raised by the wrong families. What we have found will shock you, and it's coming soon, as we already said, here on Cone Radio. Heads and shoulders above us they stand, commanding, visible, strong, the towers of the world, dominating time and space, revered, viewed and visited, built to bong or boom they call us to prayer, beautify and bolster our towns and villages, showing the way, landmarks of ancient and modern history. Big Ben, Eiffel, Pisa, Tokyo, Belém, Gimignano, CN, Galata, Svanishen, Axum Steely, Minaret of Jam, Babel, Three Pagodas, Spiral Minaret, Kutub Minar. Instantly recognizable. But the best won't appear, should you need to Google famous towers of the world, because you only know three. Colchester's very own iconic tower, Jumbo. Jumbo lights in a I have news to deliver, but a sweet incentive is sure to help. It's simple, I explain. In order to maximise profits, we will minimise costs. That means streamlining staff. But the genius part is, we'll give them the power to do it. Credit where it's due and all that. They're always asking for recognition. We'll give them ownership on this. They know who isn't needed in the team. 
All good, I say, as my hand reaches for the delicious box of treats. The trade union leader glares at me, and I'm afraid the donuts failed to de-escalate the situation. rustle of sheets as, after a heavy night out, he got out of bed, heading, she assumed, for the toilet. She listened for the front door. He had a history of lumbering through the wrong one. There was a bang, not a toilet door bang. She dashed into the hallway, relieved to see the front door still on the chain, but the bathroom was empty. A thud from the closed cupboard revealed his whereabouts. There he was, barely able to fit, face hard against the boiler. A drunken smile, and then he slurred. I appear to have been misdirected. James is ugly, and Maxwell, although not bright, is the cleverest, proclaimed the man to his companion, and because of his loudness, to the rest of the tea room. I was astounded to hear such a disparaging conversation. I had argued with father that day, and didn't need to hear about more bad parenting. Without thinking, I took action. Um, you shouldn't talk about your children like that. What? Don't talk about your children like that. What's he saying, Marjorie? Marjorie choked on her cake. Finally, she explained that James, Maxwell and Fluffy were much-loved cats, not wronged children at all. words are as bubbles of air, which form from nothing in the deepest, darkest, most inaccessible part of us, a place where we can never go, but which is as much a part of us as our everyday thoughts and feelings. And once formed, the words will find their inevitable way upwards, a journey which can take days or years but upwards they must travel, through layers of consciousness and remembered and forgotten experience, heading ever towards the light, until finally they break the surface, find their way into the clear, free air, and so we write.
We walked with the soft shuffle of anticipation, edging forward, guessing how long it would take. We played I Spy, then had a sweet-sucking competition who could make lemon sherbet last longest. Finally, our feet left the pavement for non-slip black rubber mats, and we stepped into the egg-shaped pod, eager to bag a good view. Without pausing, the eye turned and we left the ground. Higher and higher, there St Paul's, the Palace of Westminster, the Thames, snaking towards the sea. We reached the dizzying heights, only to slowly return to Earth. So the wheel turns. You have been listening to Bill's Big Bag of Only Onions. These onions were written by Dave, Bill, John, Tony, Paul, Tim, Rob, Bill, Pat, Ian, Jenny, Angela, Gladys, Sophie, and a different Ian. Big Bag of Only Onions is a Guppy production for Colne Radio and is committed to a varied, equitable and truly inclusive output that properly reflects the ethnic diversity of our community audience. Hello? Greetings to everybody at Bill's Big Bag of Onions from here in South Africa. The show is very popular here. People gather in huge football stadiums every week and listen while looking at your top page on Spotify projected onto huge screens. Thank you for everything you do.